So as we go through the readings, which will be from Matthew's Gospel today, uh, we'll have a pause between each reading. The readings will alternate uh, between Danny and myself. Uh, there will be prayers at the beginning, at the end. And uh, I'm also going to bring you a reflection on a psalm at the beginning, and we're going to end with a psalm. So we really hope and pray that this will be a, a, rich, um, a rich time of encountering God. Introduction. I want to also say everybody in St Barnabas is regularly in my prayers during this time of social distancing and uh, self-isolation and for people who are uh, frontline workers for the extreme lengths that they're going to at the moment and many of you are on this call or we're praying for you um, people are very much in my prayers for both uh, work health and for this time of uh, distancing and isolation uh, the staff are meeting to pray every morning at nine o'clock and from next tuesday we're going to have a midday prayers which we're inviting you uh, all into to join uh, that came out in the church email of yesterday uh, and obviously people not everybody will be able to be available to join a zoom at midday so we're just asking everybody in the church wherever you are to pause at midday to say the lord's prayer and to read uh, the psalm for the day from our 150 days cycle but i hope as many of you as are able will be able to come into our zoom prayers at midday uh, from next Tuesday. We're off, and we're going to start uh, by reading Psalm 80. So, Psalm 80 is where we're heading to first, and I'm going to bring a short reflection on Psalm 80. And then our readings are going to start from uh, Matthew chapter 26 at verse 31. Psalm 80. Uh, was uh, uh, one of our psalms in our cycle of psalms that came up in the middle of last week. And when I read Psalm 80, I was really struck uh, by how this speaks of God's plan for the redemption of the whole of humanity. So I'm going to read Psalm 80 and then bring a short reflection before we then move to Matthew 26 for our readings for the hour at the cross. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smoulder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbours and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. 
the mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, it shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. There is that repeating verse three times. The psalmist says, restore us, Lord God Almighty, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. This is a psalm that speaks of God's salvation. And as we gather here to walk through the journey to the cross, we're seeing God's plan for salvation in Jesus, that we ourselves have received, we've responded to. But we also pray for the whole world that it's at this time that people will turn to God, call out to Jesus and be saved. The psalmist starts with that uh, reference to Joseph. He's calling on the history of Joseph, saying this is what God did through Joseph, who delivered Israel from that time of famine. You'll remember that in Abraham, God said to Abraham, I'm going to create a nation, and through that nation, all the nations will be blessed. God had a plan to bring that covenant that relationship that we can have with God, he had that plan through Abraham. And we see the next stage of that plan with Joseph, the young man who boasted to his brothers, who was cast down into a pit, then locked up in prison after being falsely accused, who rose to be Pharaoh's right-hand man at a time when famine was going to hit. And because of his advice that was inspired by God, he put stores and storehouses so that when the famine came, it was his brothers who came to Egypt for those stores. Through the actions of Joseph, the people of Israel were saved. They moved to Egypt. They managed to get his Joseph's dad there, Jacob, and Jacob blessed each one of his sons as he died. And this was, this was um, Jacob's blessing over Joseph. 
And I'm reading from Genesis chapter 49, verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you. With blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. In this repeating verse, verse 3, restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. The psalmist Asaph is recalling all that God did through Joseph. But we know, as we look back over the history of Israel, that that plan that God had for that people group to be a blessing to all nations didn't work out. Moses, the next huge figure in the narrative of God's plan, took the people of Israel out of Egypt. Joseph, who had been that original Pharaoh's right-hand man and had saved Israel, many generations passed before Moses came into being and that Pharaoh had died. And the people of God's people had to be taken out of Egypt and they were led out of Egypt by Moses. And again, God delivered his people Israel and he settled them through Joshua in the promised land. But we see the people of Israel turn from God, turn to the, the golden calf and other idols, looking back to past things instead of turning to God. Where the psalmist here talks of the vine being trans, transplanted from Egypt. That's in verse 8. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls <clears throat> so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on it. There in that, those verses is the description that Israel was described, that metaphor of Israel being described as the vine. Joseph was blessed as the vine. 
Israel being taken out of Egypt into the promised land, that metaphor there as the vine. But we know that the people of Israel turned away from God and God needed to bring in another plan. He couldn't bless the world through that one chosen nation. That plan had not worked out. God came with another plan, and that was to give his only begotten son. Let's read what Jesus says to his disciples just after the Last Supper. And I'm reading from John's Gospel, verse 14. Come now, let us leave. That's Jesus leaving with the disciples from the upper room. And this is what he goes on to say at the beginning of chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jacob blessed Joseph, saying, you're the vine. In Psalm 80, Asaph uses the metaphor of the vine to say that Israel was the vine. Here is Jesus saying to his disciples, I am the vine. When I read Psalm 80 last week, it struck me afresh and anew with that metaphor of the vine, the pattern of God's plan, the way that God's plan was changed by the new covenant in Jesus. And it is that as Jesus takes his disciples, they go from the upper room and they're heading to the Mount of Olives. They're heading to Gethsemane. And to get there from the upper room, they have to walk down through the Kidron Valley and towering up above them as they walk down the Kidron Valley is the temple on the Temple Mount. And the temple is embossed with that description from Psalm 80, the vine of Egypt, the vine that was taken out of Egypt. That is visually there on the temple. So as Jesus walks down into the Kidron Valley with his disciples, he says to them, I am the vine. Father is the gardener. You are the branches. Jesus is stating the introduction of the new covenant by saying he is now the vine. All people can come underneath 
that vine. We just need to choose to follow Jesus. And it's particularly poignant that Jesus is saying this to his disciples as he walks to Gethsemane, where the cost of the plan will become so evident. Where he says to his father, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. We pick up now the narrative. In that moment, just after Gethsemane. And as we read this, I am once again humbled and filled with awe as to what Jesus took on on behalf of the whole of humanity. As we hear these readings now from Matthew, chapter 26, starting at verse 31, as we hear these readings, let's turn our eyes to the cross. Let's once again humbly bow before Jesus in recognition of what he has done for us. prayer to begin with before we move to Matthew chapter 26. Eternal God, in the cross of Jesus, we see the cost of our sin and the depth of your love. In humble hope and fear, may we place at his feet all that we have and all that we are through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 31. Then Jesus told his disciples, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here 
and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the fair time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached out for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion? that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And all the disciples deserted him and fled.
those who had arrested Jesus, took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you on the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in the face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and the servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly.
Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate answered him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who was called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. 
Which of these two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who was called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the Praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King Jesus of Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. 
There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine, vinegar, and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. 
And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and saw all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, 
Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Most merciful God, who by the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, delivered and saved the world, grant that by faith in him who suffered on the cross, we may triumph in the power of his victory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We're going to finish this hour at the cross by reading Psalm 22. So I invite you to turn to Psalm 22 in your Bibles. This Psalm starts with the cry of abandonment that Jesus spoke on the cross that Matthew records as Jesus hung on the cross. And this Psalm moves through what seems to be a prophetic description of what was going on for Jesus on the cross. And then towards the end, brings in the reality of what God 
is doing through Jesus' death and reminds us as some of the succeeding generations as to the mandate that we've received to share the significance of Jesus' death with people around us. It starts, Psalm 22, with a cry of abandonment and it ends with a shout of confidence and victory of what Jesus has done. So we're going to end our hour at the cross with that last verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, you are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone. Despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment.
But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. <laughs> 